0: I ask you to turn your cell phones to vibrate, and i tell you why. If your phone rings while I'm preaching, it'll wake you up very abruptly, and that's always embarrassing. <laughs> so here we go. <clears throat> Carrie's been talking about this epic kingdom of God, this kingdom that transcends time, um, and that our lives are a part of this kingdom of God, but our lives here on this earth are just the tiniest part of this eternal kingdom of God, this kingdom of righteousness, and that God has always been, God will always be, and he has invited us to come into this eternal drama. He's invited us to be a part of this flow of history, and he made a comment two weeks ago. They kind of grabbed my attention. And I have to paraphrase because I'm not quite sure exactly how he worded it. But he made a comment to the effect that one breath on the other side of this life, or maybe he said one second, I'm not sure. But one breath on the other side of this life will radically redefine this life. And I thought about that and thought about that. I had no idea that I would be asked to speak. Matter of fact, I was looking forward to playing in the band this morning, and um, I had no idea I'd be speaking today. But this morning, I want to try to answer the question, what happens when we die? Short answer, we don't know. Joe, you want to come on back up? We're done. Uh, But I want us to look at that. What happens when we die? How many of you believe in heaven? How many of you want to go to heaven when this life is over? How many of you would like to go to heaven today? I wouldn't have to pay off my Guitar Center card if I were to go to heaven today. So that would be a good thing. Save my wife a lot of money. Let me put it a little bit different. Show of hands after I ask you this. How many of you would like to wake up to a world that's completely right, a world where there's no more hunger, there's no more terrorism, there are no more broken families, there's no more drought, no more war, no more violence, no more death, no more pain, no more racism, no more political debates, no more political parties. Not just that, but what about you? What if you woke up every morning full of energy, you woke up every day and you could speak love and truth with courage and not even give it a second thought, that you would do excellent work, you would be a great friend, you would have energy and joy every day better than the day before. How many of you would like that? Because what you want is resurrection. That is resurrection. Resurrection is not so much that God uh, destroys the earth and we're transported to sit on a cloud and be bored the rest of our lives. Resurrection, according to Paul in Romans 8, he says the creation waits in eager expectation in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. God loves his creation. God made his creation. God is going to redeem his creation, and he's going to purify his creation, and everything will be right. Think of it kind of in terms of extreme makeover, universal edition. God's going to make it all righteous again. Because you see, 2,000 years ago, something happened that radically changed the way human beings looked at life. And that was resurrection. Prior to that, well, let me just read to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This is just a verse or two. The same destiny overtakes everyone. The hearts of men are full of evil. There's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. And anyone who is living has hope even a live dog is better than a dead lion whatever your hands find to do do it with all your might for in the grave or in sheol where you are going there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom there's nothing you see the ancient hebrews they didn't think in terms of a ticket to heaven they were looking more for, is there any meaning at all in this life? Is there any accountability in this life? But the whole idea of life after life was kind of vague. And so what Carrie has been talking about for the past several weeks is, yes, there's meaning in this life because of the epic kingdom of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has a fascinating statement. Ecclesiastes 3, that's the the bird's song, turn, turn, turn. We need to do that some Sunday here, Joe. I've got an electric 12 string. We can pull this off. But in December of 1964, the number one song in the United States was turn, turn, turn. Words taken directly out of Ecclesiastes 3. But in verse 11, the writer says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. I think one of the most amazing aspects of nature is that God has put kind of a homing device in animals. For instance, the homing pigeon. Uh, armies have used that from the ancient times because pigeons are able to navigate back to where they live, where they're released. I had a friend many, many years ago, I was in Taekwondo and he was my sparring partner and uh, his wife's grandmother died and Johnny wanted to have the white dove release. And so he went out and bought a bunch of white doves, but they weren't homing pigeons. And when he released them, it looked like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock the birds. Those birds flew out of that cage and then they started attacking. And they flew straight into the ground and they were killing themselves and they flew into the grave and they were dying in the grave and there was blood everywhere. It was the most awful thing you've ever seen in your life. But it was also one of the funniest things I've ever witnessed (laughs) at a cemetery. And I asked Johnny later, he lived right across the street, Johnny, what was going through your head? He said, I didn't know you had to use homing pigeons. I just thought you had to have white birds. Uh, But homing pigeons can find their way home. White birds will ruin a, a burial. Dung beetles, you know what dung beetles do? Just think about the name. It'll give you a clue. Dung beetles Find their way home, navigating by the Milky Way. Google it. there are fascinating experiments being done, salmon. Salmon will leave the ocean. They'll go up the same river from which they were born. They will go to the exact same spot where they were born. They will lay their eggs, and they do all this by magnetic waves. The gray whale. Gray whale will go somewhere down off the coast of Cabo San Lucas. Uh, Will have her calves. And then she will go back 12,000 miles to the same spot in Alaska where she lives. How do they do that? The emperor penguin. Have you ever seen those videos where there's just hundreds of thousands of penguins? A mother Penguin will leave the baby with dad. Not a good idea, but will leave the baby penguin with dad. She'll go off on a four-month feeding frenzy. Then she'll come back, and in all of those hundreds of thousands of penguins, she will go right to her mate and her child. How do they do that? What are the odds? And yet, Scripture says God has put a homing device in our hearts, God has set eternity in our hearts, and, and it whispers to us that death is not the end, there's something beyond this life, there's more to life than this, and death is not the end that there you're not home yet, but there is a home. God has set that in our hearts. Other religions will tell you, well, you come back as another person or to live another life again, or you'll come back as a roach or a rat. Um, They'll teach that that somehow that your life is kind of absorbed into the universe, like pouring a cup of water into the ocean, uh, that you live on through the wind or through somebody else or in the memories or in the earth. And I hear this new age garbage all the time at funerals, at our funeral home. But resurrection says God is bringing you back in your body that has been renewed and it will never die again. So, what happens when we die? What happens between death and that resurrected body? Well, pick your scripture. Scripture. We don't really know. We have some glimpses. We have some ideas. Uh, Paul said more about the resurrection than anyone else that writes, especially First Corinthians chapter 15. But Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I hear that all the time. But that's 12 words within a sentence that we ignore the entire sentence And it's written in the context of the resurrected body. So we have people building a whole theology of death around 12 words taken out of context. And I don't think Paul is saying what we tend to think he's saying there. But he is saying we go back to the Lord. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he's being stoned to death. He looks up into heaven and the heavens open And he sees Jesus standing to the right hand of God, and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit unto yourself. So Stephen sees that he goes back to Jesus. In uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, they both die and they both go somewhere. The rich man goes to Hades. Lazarus goes to the lap of Abraham. I don't think the point of that Parable is a theology of death, but it gives us a glimpse. I do believe that when we die, that God sends angels to escort our spirits back to him. I just think God would do something like that. And I've talked to too many people at the moment of death that have seen angels, and I've talked to too many hospice nurses, including my sister, that say there's definitely something for the believer that's not there for others. In Revelation, we read of the spirits of the martyrs surrounding the throne of God, asking when are you going to bring justice to our death? In Hebrews, the writer pictures this great cloud of witnesses around us. So what happens, we really don't know, but I can tell you this, when, when we die, the spirit of life that God has put within us goes back to God. And that's all I need to know about that. Another question is, well, what is death going to be like? That's a huge mystery because we're all on this side of death. If you could ask Norma Jean Bowman today, what is it like? I'd love to hear the answer because she knows. John in chapter 11 tells the story of Jesus raising his best friend Lazarus from the grave and why John didn't do an exit interview, I don't know, but I would love to hear what Lazarus had to say about that experience. What was it like on the other side, Lazarus? We're never told. But in John chapter 8, there's a fascinating statement where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Whoever obeys my word will never see, or a better translation, will never taste of death. Well, what does he mean by that? I don't know if you're familiar with the philosopher, theologian. He's dead now, but he was at uh, UCLA, Dr. Willard, uh, Dr. Dallas Willard, a fantastic Christian writer. He He died of pan- pancreatic cancer. And he made this statement shortly before he died. He said, when I die, I think it may be some time before I know it. It's interesting. Last year, I had a colonoscopy. If you've never had one, I highly recommend them, especially the night before. But I remember when I went into the room and the, the nurse anesthetist I got it out. The, the, the lady said, we're going to give you a drug, Mr. England. that's going to put you to sleep. Now, I was determined to stay conscious long enough to feel the effect of that drug. And the next thing I knew, she said, wake up, Mr. England, we're done. <laughs> I kind of think death is like that. Not the night before, but the waking up from the anesthesiology. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. You see, what Carrie's been teaching us lately is that those of us who are following Jesus are already in another world. We already exist in that kingdom of God that's here and now And also in the future, we're standing in that. And this conscious experience that we call life, it doesn't end at death. It's not even interrupted because our spirit goes to God. And the promise is that someday the body will be resurrected. So maybe the most important question to ask in all of this is, so what? What difference does it make? If God has placed eternity in our hearts, he wants us to be placed in the heart of eternity. And at the end of his longest treatment on resurrection, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, therefore, in other words, because of the truth of resurrection, because it's coming, my dear brothers and sisters stand firm Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, we're not oiling the wheels of some machine that's going to roll off of a cliff. We're accomplishing something that will become a part of God's renewed earth. That will become a part of that forever kingdom of God. And it will make a difference in that day. Joe, I told you I'd keep it to 20 minutes. Come on up, brother. Put the pressure on Carrie next week. So, ma'am. Of which? Ephesians. Ephesians. of resurrection, uh, look in First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, yes. Wow, oh, somebody's listening. <laughs> I'm amazed. So today is Communion Sunday. And what our uh, tradition here is that you come to the table when you're ready and you take some bread that represents the body of Christ. And Emmanuel um, Weber, and um, you dip that bread in the grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ. And you can gather together and pray, or encourage one another. However you want to do that, Joe's gonna continue some worship for us. But this is what I want to ask you to think about this morning as we do communion. Nothing we do is in vain because resurrection is coming. We generally think in terms of communion as we're going back and remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. But this morning I want to ask you to kind of focus in on your resurrection. That someday your body will be resurrected with Jesus in the same way. And so because of resurrection, resurrection, We stand firm. Paul says elsewhere that the same power of resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead also works within us. It gives us the ability to stand firm, to give ourselves truly to God and to trust Him, and not to give up. When we're sick, we don't give up. When we're broken, we don't give up. When we're afraid, we don't give up. When we're alone, we don't give up. And when we've failed yet again, we don't give up. I get what Mark was saying last week about being jacked up. But let me tell you something. God doesn't see you as jacked up. When God looks at you, He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that clothes us with righteousness. And when God looks at us, He sees us as forgiven and our sins forgotten he sees us as his children. Even the one that went off and finally ended up living in a pig pen and eating with the pigs, when he came home, God rushed out, and he doesn't say, son, you're jacked up. He says, son, come home and let's celebrate because God sees Jesus when he looks at us. So when you take of this communion this morning, I want to remind you who you are and that we are a part of of a story that never ends. And every chapter is better than the one before. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to ask you to, when you feel led to do so to come forward and partake of these elements. Father God, we're grateful this morning for your love. We don't don't get the cross at all. We don't grasp that. We don't grasp how you can love us that much. And you loved us from before creation, knowing that we would be sinful. But you gave your son anyway. And this morning, Father, we remember that. We celebrate that resurrection. But, Father, we look forward with great anticipation, with great hope and confidence. We look forward to your promise that someday we too will live resurrected forever in your epic kingdom. We praise you and thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.